0: Welcome to My Dog Ate My Book Report, a podcast where two weirdo thirty somethings take turns introducing each other to a formative book from childhood the other has never read. I'm Brandon. He him.
1: I'm Ren. They he.
0: And uh, today we are talking about uh, my second pick, The Tower Treasure by Franklin W. Dixon, the first book in the Hardy Boys series. So this one is not one that I picked for sort of the reasons we've picked our previous books so far.
1: You picked it because of the motorcycles.
0: That's correct. We <laughs> thematically needed to keep the motorcycles thing going. um I didn't remember them using motorcycles, but you know whatever uh because the previous books we've we've talked about i I think it's safe to say are were books that like were not just formative for us but like ones that we looked back on very fondly. Um, And this is more of a book that was certainly formative, really the Hardy Boys series was formative for me, but also my impression of them is very vague in my memory. Uh, So we're starting from a slightly different point on this episode than previous ones.
1: I was really looking forward to reading this because of the fact that every time a friend asked, oh, what are you reading next for that? I would tell them, oh, the first Hardy Boys book. And inevitably, they would groan or say, good luck. (laughs) And I don't know why that reaction happened, actually, upon reading it.
0: So uh, The Tower of Treasure is the first book of the Hardy Boys series by Franklin W. Dixon, or is it? Uh, It's a mystery novel, a 1927 mystery novel, or is it? And uh... What? Why is there so
1: much, or is it?
0: There's layers here, Wren.
1: Oh, no. Uh,
0: in the book, Frank and Joe Hardy, brothers and sons of the famed private detective Fitton Hardy, are swept up in a mystery when a mysterious man steals their friend Chet's car. But they soon find that isn't all that was stolen. Hoping to clear the name of an innocent man and claim a reward they absolutely do not need, the Hardy boys get to sleuthing. But can they find the valuables stolen from Tower Mansion? Question
1: mark? <laughs> i i have so many thoughts about that reward money i <laughs> whew, yep they absolutely do not need it I, I i i have this running document of notes for my reactions as re as i was reading this and so many of them just bounce back to these boys are so entitled
0: they're very rich
1: not entitled privileged these boys are so privileged yeah
0: yeah they don't act entitled per se but but they're just ignorant of the fact that they're like relatively speaking extremely wealthy
1: yeah they're they're very wealthy and they have all of this access to things that like like honestly their father is a brilliant detective who can afford to like bring them to new york city to help interrogate witnesses so it it makes me feel like they aren't you know like wonder kid detectives on their own merit, they're wonder kid detectives that they, you know, because they inherited a detective legacy and they have all this access. And it, it makes me feel like they're just like, not very interesting because of that. And then it made me wonder is the same thing of Nancy drew or is she just like, actually like a, a wonder kid detective?
0: Well, Nancy drew will also be on my list. So I'm sure we will talk about her at a future time in more okay, detail
1: fine okay i have so many questions brandon well
0: okay let's let's begin at the beginning
1: well, we'll hold on we have a couple content warnings for this
0: yeah. my content warning is that that the rich are not being eaten in it
1: that's a very good content warning uh my content warning is uh fat shaming
0: yes frequently
1: it's 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 in there a lot <laughs> boy do i have thoughts yeah
0: these books were some of the first uh chapter books that i ever read um because basically uh, around the time that i was like at the point that i was reading longer books um my mom who also liked these books as a child um got got me like the first dozen or so i think um, so even though I had no real recollection of what happened in this book, I do know that I read this one in particular for sure. Uh, cause when I was a kid, I was not going to read out of order. That would, that would be wild. Um, <laughs> so there's some of the first chapter books I read, but they didn't necessarily leave a, a super strong impression on me individually. They more just were kind of like part of a larger tapestry of me being into mystery stuff. Um, and I think maybe that's part of why my mom liked them and why my mom got them for me. Because by the time I was working up to, you know, reading, reading fiction at this level, um, I, I'd already like <laughs> taken to things like watching murder. She wrote, uh, and stuff like that. So like watching mystery TV. Um, so it made sense. Uh, I eventually, what is in my memory upgraded to Nancy drew on my own at a later time. Uh, And I have more, I have more distinct positive regard in my memory for Nancy Drew, but I didn't, I didn't come to Nancy Drew until sometime after the Hardy Boys, which is why we're starting here as far as the order of me picking things. So
1: I'm just going to put a note here. I, uh, this is something we'll cut out, but, uh, I have moved apartments since the last time we recorded and, uh, while I'm no longer anywhere near a train, which is Really cool. No train noises. I am sadly so much closer to the airport. And I think you're going to have to just clear out the past, I don't know, 45 seconds of a low-flying plane. Low-flying plane. Well, I'm flying. leaving that in. Uh, <laughs> damn it. Low-flying plane that just went over that was very loud on my end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, lovely. There's always something. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, so unbeknownst to me, um, the Hardy Boys were really one of the very earliest examples of long-running children's mystery series. It feels like it's a thing that there's so many of them and that there were so many of them when I was a kid, right? Not just the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, but uh, lots lots of other things um, that also kind of had the same general uh, feel of just series of infinite books where kids go on adventures um
1: i feel like i can't name any i think i just didn't travel in those book circles i guess (laughs) i I can't i'm trying to think of any just like long-running series there was like the babysitter's club but that wasn't mysteries i don't think i think that was just friendship
0: they sometimes babysitter's club did mysteries it wasn't the only thing certainly um
1: oh wait there was um what's the the, the box boxcar children
0: is one yeah
1: was that mysteries yeah for the most part or was that just like okay. Um
0: mystery might be doing a little bit of work here in some of these cases but um certainly i don't know maybe thriller or something appropriate uh but in 1927 um there weren't many of those uh in fact you know, books for this audience just kind of didn't exist necessarily, um, with a few exceptions that we'll talk about later. Uh, and so, just kind of, yeah, I don't remember where I was going with this. Um, <laughs> but I guess, I guess it's like they seem a little trite in a way that I that that I think is because we live in a world shaped by the fact they've existed for a century. If that makes sense. Mm. Um. Party Boys and Nancy Drew, and everything as well. Uh, and, you know, for that reason, I, I found this book, the progression of it, to be a little bit like not quite what I was expecting um, because it feels like Frank and Joe don't do a lot of stuff on their own. I'm so used to this genre being one in general where, like, the kids do all of the major things, sometimes, you know, under their parents' noses, right? And in this book, Frank and Joe do some stuff, but periodically they go back to their dad and they're like, Hey dad, can you help us out? And then he leaves and then he comes back and he's like solved the mystery, which I guess is more realistic on some level. But
1: Yeah. I, I have a couple notes on that. I I was very surprised by the pacing and I, I liked the pacing. I thought actually, I, I felt like it didn't leave me enough time to be like super stressed out and worried about the false arrest because like immediately, like the next day, the police had already done a bunch of stuff and let the guy go. And, and they didn't have to do anything. Um and I liked that it didn't really kind of like for the most part there was exceptions. It didn't like bog us down with all of this information that a kid would not reasonably have access to. Uh I feel like a lot of modern stuff like this definitely as you say has the kids just do everything and they like you know find all the files and they inexplicably have access to records and things
0: and like one of them plays a lot of world of warcraft and so that's just like enough rationale that they're also like a super good hacker or whatever
1: yeah and then you know people would just explain legal things to them for a really long time like they didn't bother with any of that here and that was yeah, that I felt like kind of cut out some of the boring and nonsense stuff. Yeah, so
0: and like it's a, it's a book that isn't all that long ultimately, uh, and it's certainly not like a challenging read by any stretch. But it does kind of feel like a lot of things happen. Like the 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 whole mystery starts. Frank and Joe are riding on motorcycles, which is why we made a joke about motorcycle theme earlier. Um, uh, and this guy almost runs them off the road. And and at first, they're just like, wow, that person is driving dangerously. Glad something bad didn't happen. But before long, they find that they that person ran off the road and is missing. And then their friend Chet's car gets stolen. And it's the same guy, probably. And as they're trying to help find Chet's car, they uncover the fact that at the same time, uh, the old tower mansion was robbed; jewels and securities taken from its safe, and of course, all of these things are connected. They run down a wig for a while. They uh, vandalize a bunch of cars that don't belong to them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I they get their dad's help. I mean, going going back to the motorcycles, that being you know the first sentence, basically. I think I just. I sat down the book and I was like, the first note I wrote was, they must be really rich to both have motorcycles in. And then there's a dot, dot, dot where I went and checked what time, what date this was printed. It was like checks notes, 1927. And sure enough, they were rich.
0: Yeah, which we which we discover um, eventually when, after several chapters of running about in the uh, fictional town of Bayport, uh, we get to... St- visit the hardy's house and it's it's like a former i want to say it was like a former farmhouse or ranch house or something like that but the barn has been converted uh to to a gymnasium i think
1: yep Uh, sure had been (laughs) like it's it's just it's just
0: wild um and this is just all sort of explained away by saying that their father is one of the most famous private detectives in the country like they they explain or the the book at least explains that basically uh he's a private detective because he used to be a police detective but he was too good which you know i'm okay with that uh certainly and that, that's in that's in
1: contrast to uh to oscar smuff yeah. who is a private detective but bad at yeah. it who desperately wants to become a cop
0: yeah and he's very bad at his job well he occasionally is dangerously competent he's like just competent enough to be dangerous
1: yeah there were a number of situations where he just like came up and had information we're just like how did you get that information yeah You're, you're just here to be a foil yeah and we
0: must assume that he got it somehow right and then and you have situations like um when uh uh a little ways into the story um the mr hardy manages to run down the guy that probably was the one who had stolen the car and, and stolen the jewels and
1: and fatally injures who had him been
0: fatally injured or something yes uh
1: that was wild i was like wait a minute are they really gonna have someone die yeah. in this book that they wrote in 1927 holy shit they sure are yeah
0: and there's this juncture where like uh this guy's at the hospital but the doctors aren't sure like if he's strong enough to speak or whatever so um When he is, they let Mr. Hardy know. And he's like, I've got to fly upstate to talk to this guy. Um, But Oscar Smuff has discovered about the guy also. And so Frank and Joe and their friends have to uh, basically stop Smuff from getting on a plane so that he doesn't get to the guy first and like spook him out of telling anyone important information to find the jewels and stuff. Uh, which Yeah, because the father
1: by. the father was like, he'll just bungle it up or, or whatever yeah, he said.
0: Yeah, uh, and, and they accomplished this by setting a fire. Uh, and I guess to, to Oscar Smuff's credit, he did seem to recognize that maybe he should help put out a fire.
1: Yeah, but it seemed very clear that he just wanted to put out the fire so he could be a big damn hero. Yes. My first notes on Oscar Smuff was uh, Oscar Smuff, best character so far, because he had a cool name. And the first thing that he said was just like a silly detective in a story saying a clue. And then immediately it turned into, oh, no, wait, this guy's a jerk. He wants to be a cop. He just, no, (laughs) never mind.
0: When when, when they're still looking for Chet's car, because they spend quite a while looking for Chet's car. Um, that's like really the primary mystery for the first about quarter of the
1: book.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, Oscar Smuff tells Chet that he has a lead on Chet's car, but he wants oh Chet god, to pay right. him for it twenty five dollars, which I noted you can live in the Met for for a week with.
1: <gasps> oh my god! That's
0: that's living in the Met for a week, money.
1: Oh yeah,
0: yeah. So Oscar Smuff. Uh, just the worst. R- really, the actual antagonist of this book, even though he's not like the perpetrator of the crime, right?
1: Yeah, because pretty pretty constantly they're like about to find something or 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 you know whatever, and then Oscar Smuff is suddenly there, and they're like, crap, how do we get rid of Oscar Smuff?
0: Um, so the hardys are dedicated to solving the the mystery of the stolen jewels and securities, um, because the owner of Tower Mansion. Uh, heard Applegate, um, who's also a jerk, is convinced that it's his groundskeeper, Mister Robinson, who, um, whose son goes to school with the Hardies, uh, and, and even though there's not really any evidence to suggest that he did it, other than that, like he has the means, I suppose, which is not nothing, I, I guess, but like it's dumb. That um, the whole, the the Hardies want to clear his name so that they won't have to live in the poor part of town, which they like really grind into the story at a few points where they like go to visit the Robinsons where they're staying now that they don't get to stay in like the, the part of the mansion, like how it's the bad part of town, but it's clearly just the part where people aren't rich enough to have a gymnasium of their own. Um, Yeah. So that, that's fun.
1: Their, their critiques were like, this house was not freshly painted. Yeah.
0: It, it, how horrible. Kind of hilarious. Um in in a, in the worst way. Um
1: describing describing the how run down the poor part of town was actually the section of the book that I felt got the actual like the most physical description written about it. Yeah. Everything else was all pretty vague.
0: Yeah, so the other reason they wanted to solve the mystery is because there was a reward. <laughs> Which they were very <sighs> excited about. Possibly getting and splitting uh, between them.
1: See here, I, I thought, you know, because because the-, the friend Slim, who had to who then had to quit school and kill his chance of going to college because his dad lost his job, I thought the end was going to be that they get the reward and they give it to Slim for his college fund. Yeah, because
0: they even bring up that they want the money for their college fund. And I crunch some numbers, and by crunching some numbers, I mean Google things. Uh so the reward was $1,000. Um I did do the inflation calculations on that. But I'll get I'll come back to that. Uh the tuition at the University of Pennsylvania in 1927 uh was $400. Mm. Uh I I presume a semester. Um so
1: so it's almost a year. Yeah.
0: So so a thousand dollar reward is a year of college. Um
1: Okay, so you said University of Pennsylvania. Is that where this is supposed to be? No,
0: it's just one of the fa- one of the places I could find like numbers on 1927
1: tuition. Oh, okay. Because I wrote generic East Coast. Where is this I supposed to be? I think it's supposed
0: to be in New Jersey, maybe? But I'm not sure. Um, Bayport's a fictional place. It feels to me like it's close to New York, but not like in New York, right? It's far enough they can they that they have to fly, but like close enough that those flights aren't long. Um or, or presumably expensive. Uh yeah, I just University of Pennsylvania was one that I could find tuition amounts for 1927. Um and also, if if you're curious, and this is of course not necessarily indicative of anything, but uh today tuition would be $53,000 at University of Pennsylvania um so you know just just to, it's not a community college I guess is my point uh so yeah that was just that was just one that I could find um $1,000 in 1927 adjusted for inflation is around $16,000 as far as I could tell. It's a lot, it's a lot of money. The Applegates were obviously also rich even though they kind of had the vibe of like the people who lived in the mansion now were not the ones who like made the fortune, they inherited it and they're kind of not characterized very kindly, which is fine I suppose. Um, Heard Applegate is also sort of a semi antagonist even though he's the victim of the crime just because he's like so dead set on it being Robinson.
1: Yeah. I One little detail that I thought was very weird to me, I don't know, coming at this as an adult, I feel like I just, like, nitpicked inconsistencies unfairly, but they make a big point about how they've never been in the Tower Mansion, and it's so mysterious, but then suddenly it switches to, oh yeah, our friend Slim lives here. It's like, so wouldn't they have ever been there? <laughs> that seems strange to me. i don't know i
0: don't think hurt applegate would let slim have his f- friends over right
1: that is a like, good point that's a good point
0: like the applegates um i mean i think i think they're intentionally characterized as suspicious because eventually uh the hardys do contemplate if the theft was a hoax or like an insurance scam. That's not what it ends up being. But like, I had been considering that option for a long time by the time one of them thought of it. And I say one of them because here's the thing about Frank and Joe.
1: I don't know who is who.
0: They just Frank is the older one and Joe is the younger one. And I do not remember anything else about them. And I could not tell you what differentiate. I know they have different hair colors, but I don't remember who's who is who.
1: I'm pretty sure that Frank is the one with black uh-huh. hair. And Joe is the one with like, well, on the cover it looks like he's kind of like a gingery yeah. blonde, um, but I think that's yeah. how it is. But you're right, like they just they're just one person yeah. to me.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's it's difficult to like really tell them apart in general. Um, but that's fine. They just kind of move things along and operate as a unit. Uh, and, and the only cha- the only one of like their little gang that really has any sort of character at all is Chet, and his character is mostly liking to eat. Yep, sure um, is.
1: I I did write um, when when they list off all of their friends, of whom I I don't remember any of their names at this point. Uh, none of the other friends get physical descriptors or adjectives of any sort, except for Chet. Every time Chet is, is discussed, Chet is described as stout or or some other, you know, sort of fat-shamey adjective. And none of the other ones even get a hair color. But you get constantly reminded that Chet is always eating or that Chet is a little chubby all the time.
0: Or there's like the time where they're at Chet's house and um he's really concerned about his Welsh rabbit. Uh, so I mean, at least in chess defense, it seems like he can also cook. Like, cool, marketable skill. His other his other character trait is that he owns a car. Uh, uh, the right. aforementioned uh, yellow jalopy,
1: which he ref- which he refers to as a jalopy, which all will I don't... be revealed. Cars are new. All, Cars are a new thing. How are revealed. you describing it as an old beat up car? Um. Cars are but it's new. it's it's yellow, it's
0: bright yellow, uh, and he calls it the queen. And I did when I was like googling around and like reading articles and stuff about Hardy Boys. I did I did see I forget where it was. Um, it might have been like The Atlantic or something, where the 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 writer of this essay about the Hardy Boys sort of offhandedly made some oblique reference of like you know Chet being adopted by like queer kids in more modern times on the basis that his car is called the queen. I don't know if that's true or if it's a joke in the article that I read. I couldn't really tell but like sure eh, you know all of his friends are mystery solving dudes. (laughs) One of the things I do recall about the Hardy Boys as a series is that while they do have a, a number of incidental friends that are mentioned, Chet is like the best friend. Um okay. Chet and uh uh Biff, who I think may have been mentioned in this book but wasn't
1: yes, uh, biff was mentioned really i i was I was thrilled to see the name Biff because it's just yeah. so silly uh
0: they're they're kind of like on the recurring recurring person with actual significance sometimes here
1: um they they also both had girlfriends sort yeah. of they phrased it so oddly. Yeah. When they introduce, I think the first one, I think Frank's girlfriend's name is Callie? And and he doesn't say, it's my girlfriend. He says, oh, this is a girl. She's really nice. We've often dated. And it's like, how does dating work in 1927? <laughs> and the same thing was described, Chet's little sister is dating Joe. And uh, he says the same thing. Like, they, they sometimes date. And I was like, huh. But I guess they're like not going steady yet or something. I don't know. All of my my reference to like how people date in the past is like from Greece, I think. So like maybe none of them have given each other a ring, like a class ring yet or something, or a letterman's jacket.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and this this is this is in America, not Greece. So
1: who knows? Oh shush. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I always just kind of assumed that this was their very, like, safe for kids way of being like, these are girls they hang out with, but definitely don't do anything untoward with, right?
1: Yeah. There was no no mention of they're anything untoward. They're
0: that. not old enough to do anything untoward, right? They're 17 and they're 18. They're not old enough, Ren. Not in 1927, okay. they're not. Not in a book for the mass market, they aren't.
1: Some of the 1927 phrases really tickled me i i wrote my favorite one down you look as if your last friend had gone off on a moon rocket i loved that so much (laughs) i want to use it instead of oh in
0: 1959 the first chunk of the hardy boys series was heavily revised for a variety of reasons and in fact you've kind of stumbled across quite a few of them in this conversation the slang was updated so in the original 1927 text Chet's car is not a jalopy, it's a roadster. Huh. The jalopy was added in 1959. Um things like moon rocket uh are also from that revision, things that were a little more contemporary for
1: I thought that was a little a little modern. I was like, wow, they're already thinking about moon rockets in 1927.
0: That's yeah. cool. No, uh it it um they uh updated some of the slang, replaced some like Slang that wouldn't have made as much sense to a kid in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, they also heavily shortened them. Uh, they were originally 25 chapters, and their uh, text was more invested with suspense and tension, uh, and the pace wasn't nonstop. And they decided that was not what they wanted anymore, and they simplified. The text they replaced a lot of um words that were deemed like too challenging uh shortened them down to t- the 20 chapters that uh they exist in another big part of that revision is removing a lot of racism oh um as near as i could find it did not sound like the tower of treasure was necessarily one of the chief offenders here but that some
1: the Tower Treasure seemed to have zero mention of anybody's race at all whatsoever. And I assumed it was probably because these guys are rich white kids. They probably don't ever interact with any people of color. Yeah,
0: so that's that's how it is a lot in the Hardy Boy series um, is that it's kind of a setting where there just aren't people of any sort of ethnicity other than white Caucasian. When they did pop up, they would usually just kind of be stereotypes. Uh, and there are some books from relatively early on whose plots are like about a group of Indians or whatever and just like treats them very not well. And so some some of the books had to like undergo significant revision to like get rid of that. And others just sort of had to have like some massaging of, or, or in some cases removal of, um, non-white characters because those characters were not portrayed in a way that even people in nineteen fifty nine were okay with
1: so when you were a kid, do you know what version you read
0: it was almost certainly the revised version
1: okay. um this this time did you read yes. the revised version?
0: The revised version is all that's really sold as far as I can tell. it did look like periodically people had um started printing the originals again as well, but I couldn't, it did not seem like that was like the main version printed by the publisher currently. Uh, I read the Kindle version, which of course is like the most up to date. Um, You know, I didn't have like a lot of editions to choose from. Um, But uh, if you went and found, for instance, a a cop, a physical copy of this book from prior to 1959, um, the text would be different. Uh, The, 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 even it sounds like the voice of the text would be fairly different. Um, the pacing is, is slower. Like, apparently it takes them a lot longer to get around to the, figuring out the significance of the wig. Uh, they don't go to New York with their dad. Um, apparently, instead of lighting a fire to delay Oscar Smuff, they make a bomb, which I feel... What? I feel robbed, frankly, what? that they took that part out. Um, part of the revision, though, was also um, downplaying disrespect for authority. Because mm. this still kind of exists a little bit in the book, but in the original version, the element where like the Hardys are stepping in and slash where their father is stepping in because the police are incompetent was apparently a much stronger like, through line of the books.
1: That's interesting. I just sort of read it as, like, the police were irrelevant.
0: Well, and and that might be because of the revision, right? Um, Yeah. Gosh. uh, Also, the revision added in several female characters. Neither Mrs. Hardy nor Eola Morton were even in the book in the first place. Which
1: one's Eola? Chet's
0: Chet's sister.
1: Oh, so Joe's girlfriend. Uh, Callie (laughs) was in
0: the book, but apparently only very briefly and adelia applegate um was also in the book but she had a much more limited role which was basically just exclusively when she was being really shrewish
1: and it, but she was the person that like she was a critical piece to solving a, per- a certain part of the mystery oh yeah. for yeah. heck's sake
0: yeah it, it it's interesting i i hadn't i didn't know that before bothering to google it um but yeah i, I I had to have read the revision because that's, that's just, that's what you're going to get if you go to a bookstore and buy these. um.
1: Wow. So all of my notes about like language are, are more about 1959 than 1927. That's so fascinating.
0: You were correct to be like, to to feel that something was a little bit uh, inconsistent.
1: I just thought it was so strange that they referred to something as a jalopy it just it just stuck out to me i was like that that's so weird um yeah one of the the other sort of pieces of of phrasing that they use which i had never heard before and was confused by the first time they said it and this by the second time they said it i was like oh that's an exclamation was good night they seem to use it as like a like a surprise sort of exclamation. Like probably they say it more like "good night." Like whoa.
0: It's interesting. I I, I literally knew kids that I went to school with who used "good night" in that fashion. So, that's
1: so it did strange. not did not
0: give me any sort of pause. I was like, yeah, that.
1: I'd never I'd never that's heard a thing it before. Say I don't know. Yeah, that. In in chapter one they say it and I was like, why does he say good night there? That's weird. And then later on they both say it together as an exclamation because something surprised them. And I was like, what is this phrase?
0: I have no idea whether or not that one was a 1927 or a 1959. Um, Cause I'm sure some things were kept right. Uh, like the thing that I remember noting as a kid um, was I, I, never ever had encountered the word chum um, in like <laughs> actual usage. It oh, just, it just always like struck me as a, like, like, Huh. That's a that's a strange word.
1: So ultimately, what was your um your sort of general experience reading it? Uh, then?
0: It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, like I said at the top, uh, I didn't pick this on the basis that it was necessarily a favorite or, or a book that um I had very fond or even very distinct memories of. Either way. And that's kind of where I end up with it now. I I read it and I'm like, I understand why this series was what I moved on from, uh, you know, not too long after I had gotten through the ones that I had. Um, Because, you know, yeah, there's, there's, the pacing is pretty fast, but oftentimes it doesn't feel like a, a, a lot is, Happening, there's not that sense of tension or suspense. I I gather from what I've been able to find about the 1927 edition, I gather I would probably have enjoyed that more. Um, but but who knows? It was longer and had more challenging language, so maybe it would have been too hard to get through. Uh, I'm not sure. But yeah, like it, it kind of just reinforced my general feeling about them that they were a thing that I I, I did encounter and I read and they were an early part of me reading novels. um, But they did not continue to be an important part of my reading habits for a long time. I found things I liked better, whether it was Nancy Drew uh, or, you know, things that were in a totally different genre, like Animorphs or, you know, when I started reading Star Wars novels or whatever. so yeah, it was fine. Uh, I was kind. Uh, uh, there were parts that I enjoyed more than I was expecting to. I was kind of expecting this book to be a bit of a slog, and I did not find that to be true.
1: That was where I was. I was expecting it to feel like real hard to get through because of 1927 language, but little did I know I was actually reading 1959 language. Because uh, actually, a point that I made to myself was it, it felt. Like I was kind of reading something very Scooby-Doo-ish, mm. which makes a lot of sense because that's also a similar time yeah. period.
0: <laughs> I think you could make the argument that the Hardy Boys are, you know, the, the, the Hardy Boys tracked down their friends' stolen jalopy so that Scooby-Doo could unmask rich people trying to pull real estate scams.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, yes, so like obviously it being you know the prototype for a lot of teen mystery stuff sure but i think maybe the language and just kind of the i don't know looseness of the setting i think maybe also is what felt like that to me yeah. in terms of i guess time period wise. well
0: and and i don't want to you know the 1959 edition is not just an entirely new book it's it's a it's a revision um uh i was able to find chunks of the 1927 text online and when i did you know I didn't find anything super, super, like, interesting to share. But um, there were definitely large portions of pages that were verbatim still the same.
1: I think I may have found it a little boring as a child. When I was a kid, I really gravitated towards things with animals or things that were survival stories or, or, or things with fantastical elements of some sort. I really just wasn't very interested in normal humans that didn't have magic powers because normal humans are just not super interesting to me. I, I never really got into mystery as a thing until much later.
0: And and Mr. Hardy being a, a literally world world famous detective wasn't fantastical. Okay.
1: So there was a moment where he just like looks at the safe for a couple of seconds Looks at Mr. Applegate and is like, Oh, yeah, all of these fingerprints are yours. And I was like, What kind of magical <laughs> forensic wizard are yeah. you?
0: I didn't really remember how big a part of the books he sometimes was. I knew that he was around, but like, I think if the Hardy Boys were written today, what would happen is Mr. Hardy would go missing or die, right?
1: Like Yeah, and they'd spend a lot of time like sneaking around and stealing his files as opposed to him helping yeah. them.
0: But but no. He's he's around and he helps them out a
1: bunch. The the moral of, of my story though, I think, is that I actually I actually kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> I I had a good time figuring out who That's done good. it.
0: Did did you find the resolution of the mystery satisfactory?
1: I had actually taken a guess, um, when they couldn't find anything in the old tower the first time, I was like, ah, "You know what's going to happen? They're going to like go do something and look around and see some other old tower in town and be like, "Oh, that's the old tower they meant," and then solve it and I was mostly right, <laughs> kind of it was a different sort of tower, but i was I was on the right path, so you know I pet myself in the back a little bit there.
0: I, I definitely was once they didn't find anything in the old tower, uh, or the new tower, once they didn't find anything in the mansion, I was kind of like, well, it's probably the Applegates then. Like this is this this theft was not real. This is an insurance scam or something. Um and, and they ruled that out at a certain point, and then I was like, Yeah, it's probably not it's probably a different tower. But I was definitely on the uh the, the Applegates are trying to scam people train. Um it just seemed I just wanted them to be guilty of it because they're terrible.
1: Yeah. So when are you going to stop stringing me along about the, it was written by Franklin Dixon or was it? Yeah.
0: So here's the thing. Franklin W. Dixon does not exist (laughs) and never has.
1: Wait a minute. What? I knew that there were ghostwriters involved in like later parts of the series, but. This person just didn't exist from the beginning? Correct.
0: What Boy. the hell? Uh, so, I'm going to hit you with some history.
1: Oh, good God. Um, Someone just took off on a moon ride.
0: <laughs> Are you familiar with book packaging?
1: Um, I guess not.
0: Cool. I'm going to explain it anyway, because I imagine some listeners aren't either. I wasn't until I Googled it more.
1: So... I assume it's not the obvious, like book packaging is the way a book is packaged. Uh, correct.
0: It's not. It's not that. <laughs> um, so book packaging is a practice where a publisher commissions a different company, a book packaging company, to make a book, and and then that company handles the outsourcing of the writing, the layout, the editing, the cover artists, all all the things that go with making a book, and then sell the finished book back to the publisher. Um, So the Hardy Boys were one of the series done by a book packager uh, named Edward. I'm going to go with Stratemeyer um, because there's an E between the Strat and the Meyer. So, I don't think it's just Stratemeyer. I don't think it's Stratemeyer. I'm going to Stratemeyer and I'm just going to hope for the best. Um,
1: he probably can't. Probably object. not.
0: He died in 1930. So, you know. <laughs> uh, so, Stratemeyer was a prolific writer of short stories and dime novels and stuff. And at one point, he has this idea to uh, form the Stratemeyer Syndicate to do this thing where he would come up with ideas and hire people to write them. Um, and for a while he was, you know, one of the writers involved here. Um, his, his initial attempt at a like juvenile fiction series was, uh, in 1899, he created the Rover boys series for young Americans. That's the full title. Uh, which were very successful. They were about three uh, brothers at a military school. Um, and although he wrote them, they were under a pen name. Um, so a few years later in uh, 1905, that's when he starts the Stratmeyer Syndicate and begins just churning these like juvenile lit series out. Because these, these this was a genre that just didn't exist. People didn't write books like this for children. Um, But Stratmeyer kind of uh, had the epiphany that, like, kids kind of want to feel like they're reading what grown-ups read, right? So he was trying to provide this, like, constant deluge of books that would feel to kids like they were grown-up, right, or or grown-up-like. Stratmeyer launched the Hardy Boys, the Bobsey Twins, uh, Tom Swift, Nancy Drew, and and others you won't have heard of probably. So while Stratmeyer was the creator of the Hardy Boys and the originator of many of the Hardy Boys ideas, he is not the writer of them. Um, and Franklin W. Dixon is not a person who ever existed. It's just the name that they were always published under. In fact, hard, new Hardy Boys books are written to this day. Uh, and and credited to Franklin W. Dixon. Um, And and all of those book series pretty much have similar uh, situations. Like Nancy Drew novels are all credited to Carolyn Keene, who is equally fictional. Um, uh, So all this to say that Franklin W. Dixon did not exist. All of the books were written by ghostwriters. Uh, They were paid... What The number I found for 1927 was $85, a flat rate, for a book. Um, that would be about $1,400 in today money. So not great money. Um, this book in particular, as well as many of the early books, many of the first several dozen books, were written by Leslie McFarlane, who was... Um, <laughs> who is best known as being the author of The Tower of Treasure and many other Hardy Boys books, despite the fact that's not what he would want to be remembered for. McFarland was a Canadian author. He he wrote a number of novels under his own name that were not like these. He also uh, directed some films and stuff. Um, sadly, like none of the work that his name is actually on are anywhere near as well-known uh, as The Hardy Boys. Um, but uh, he's, he's well-known as being sort of the, the original Hardy Boys author and the author of a lot of the first swath of them. Um, he was not a fan of the 1959 revision. He thought that the removal of the uh, more complex language and the more suspense-based pacing kind of defanged the stories, which I can, I can understand. His uh, daughter has said that, like, he wasn't really a fan of the Hardy Boys or anything. He he, he kind of recognized, um, by his own admission, that they were trash, but also they paid his bills. So you know, um, apparently he kind of had a, a thing where he would ghostwrite, finish the job, and I think he ghostwrote for a series other than Hardy Boys, but he's best known for Hardy Boys. Um, he finished the job. He'd be like, "I'm never going to write one of these stupid juvenile books again." Uh, and then, like the next time that like money was a little bit tight, he would take another gig, right? <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, that's 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 the history here. Um, while the Hardy Boys were not the first of these long, universally ghost-ridden uh, juvenile fiction series, they definitely were one of the sort of like early examples, early big examples of. Juvenile fiction in general, and uh certainly like this this approach to th- publishing in particular, because book packaging is still alive and well, not just with Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew and so forth. Lots and lots and lots of people have ghost-written the Hardy Boys. There are um today more than 420 Hardy Boys books.
1: Holy crap. Um, I had no idea there were that many. On the back of the book I have, it says 53 additional titles, and I was like, wow. That's a lot of Hardy Boys books.
0: So the original series ran for 190 books. Some people only consider the first 50 something to be canon. Um, I think because after that, like it stopped being the Stratmeyer syndicate and went to somebody else or something to that effect. Uh, but there have been many spinoff series and revivals over the years, um, up to it, including today, things like, uh, Hardy Boys case files, uh, undercover brothers. Um, the current series i think is called hardy boys adventures um so there there are hardy boys books still coming out apparently the hardy boys adventures books are uh told in a first person perspective alternating between the brothers which is a little bit different new hardy boys books are are written all the time and they're basically always it seems set in a contemporary time to when they come out just you know it that's just how it is right it's like it's like comic books uh, time mm-hmm. Time just kind of isn't Yeah uh, But they are still credited to Franklin W. Dixon
1: <laughs> what, what age range is theoretically Supposed to read this?
0: Uh, I don't know I would guess Like 8 to 12 year olds Maybe hmm. would be my guess
1: I keep going back to the question Of whether or not I would have enjoyed it as a kid And I don't think I would have enjoyed it From the 8 to 12 range But when I was I don't know maybe 15 or so I got really into the old Johnny quest cartoons. Mm. And I feel like after that point, I probably would have gone back and, and been into this.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so everything else that we've read so far has had a movie. Yeah. Is there a movie that we can watch based no. on this? Well, we'll find. no,
0: there are six television adaptations. The first <laughs> one, uh, was a serial based upon this book in particular, Done as part of the second season of the Mickey Mouse Club in 1956. Um, the theme song we listened to early on in this episode was uh, the theme song to a, an animated version from 1969. Uh, there have been several live-action versions over the decades. There was quite a resurgence in 19, in the 1970s. There was a TV show that was like the Hardy Boys' Nancy Drew Mysteries where they were just teamed up the whole time. Um, and... The second season of Hulu's Hardy Boys series, I think, just
1: started. Oh, also, isn't like Supernatural just the Hardy Boys?
0: <laughs> uh, it's the Hardy Boys. If like after after the first slew of books, Joe goes to college, Frank has a like starts having a drinking problem, <laughs> and also vampires exist.
1: So what else? Yeah,
0: so no movie, but uh, lots. Lots of television adaptations and and how much they have taken direct, like, inspiration or, or directly adapt uh, any given books kind of varies as far as I can tell. Many of them will at least kind of start at, at a book for like an episodes plot. Um, there's also been comics and video games over time. I've not played any of the video games. They're probably not very good. <laughs> yeah, so Hardy Boys are informative for me in so far as reading mystery books even though I moved on from them and they're formative for sort of this this corner of the medium even though many other things have ultimately kind of supplanted them in terms of cultural popularity.
1: Uh, so how about them uh, them giant peaches?
0: I I think I'm at like a 2 maybe. I I'm you know, I didn't dislike the book, but as a whole I wasn't super <laughs> thrilled about it. <laughs>
1: So as a reminder, we here at My Doggate My Book Report, we write every book that we read as a, a measure of how many out of five giant peaches we liked this book. Judging it up against James and the Giant Peach, which we both really like. I'm gonna be generous and give this book a three. I, I feel like it was it was a solid read. I enjoyed myself. I was definitely annoyed by the fat phobia, but I mean, we still get that now. Like, I can't even say like it's a product of the time. It's just a product of terrible humans. Um, I was I was compelled. It was a, a solid little mystery. I don't know that I would read more, but I am very interested in checking out Nancy Drew now.
0: Yeah, this this, this does definitely cement my intention to have us read a Nancy Drew novel before too long because that is uh the series i moved on to after i'd read some hardy boys and that i do remember enjoying more i just liked the nancy drew books that i read better than the hardy boys as a whole um so we'll definitely be checking in on nancy drew and we can talk about her in particular when that time comes I,
1: i don't like frank or joe i spent most of the book being really worried about slim And hoping that when Frank and Joe inevitably solved the crime, that they would give him the money and they didn't. So that made me like them even less. But yeah, it was fun.
0: Uh, I did have a fun piece of trivia that is not really Hardy Boys relevant, but I will never have any other time that is valid to say this. This is something I knew before we went into here, but I didn't realize it was um, the same person. Series that he created was Tom Mm -hmm. Swift. Uh, while tom swift is not himself like a character that a lot of people remember necessarily he does affect our lives often in a way that maybe you're not aware of because tom swift is the reason that a taser is called a taser because the inventor of the taser um decided to facetiously name it after uh tom swift's electric rifle which was featured in one of the Tom Swift books. T S E
1: R. Oh my gosh!
0: And yeah, so for a while it was called the T S E R, and they added the A just because <laughs> the, it was a pain to pronounce without a vowel in there. Sir. But yeah, that's that's what Taser stands for. That's amazing. Um, and so and so in a way, uh, the same guy who gave us the Hardy Boys gave us the Taser.
1: <laughs> that is funny.
0: So what uh, what
1: are we going to do next time? Well, next time is very exciting because it'll be our fifth episode. And if you remember from our intro episode, we said all of the multiples of five episodes, we're going to do something special, like bring in a guest. Or this time we're going to subject ourselves to some of the movie adaptations of the books we've read so far. So I'm definitely going to make Brendan and I watch the... (laughs) Boy screams in woods version of Hatchet.
0: I would be way more excited about watching this movie if it was named Boy Screams <laughs> in Woods.
1: Um, so if you, and I'm gonna
0: make Rin watch all six Hardy Boys TV oh, series. Please no,
1: we we can do one of them. All six. I cry. <laughs> so that's what we're gonna be doing next time is a, a catch up on the books we've done so far, movie adaptations. Oh boy, adventure. Yep. Yeah. So come along with us for that.
0: Uh, I promise man, it's not all going to be snark. Anybody,
1: I, I, I hope, I hope. <laughs> it'll probably mostly be snark
0: though. <laughs> not anytime anybody says, "Oh boy, my brain is going to be like, here come the heart. <laughs> oh, <no>. oh boy, <laughs> we're having a party. Having a party is literally the rhyme. It doesn't make it sense. Doesn't. They're detectives. I mean, they just I've... they just didn't have any other rhyme for a hearty.
1: What else could rhyme with heart? Hardy. They're they're their crime solving is never tardy. No, okay. Yeah. Let's move on. Well, Goodbye cause... everyone. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye.
1: My dog ate my book report is hosted and produced by Ren and Brandon, that's us, and edited by the fabulous Derek Balin.
0: The music used in this podcast was licensed by Epidemic Sound. Transcripts were generated by Otter.ai. Our icon image was illustrated by Cindy Lau. I have a question or a comment for the team? You can find us on our website, which links to all of our socials at dogatemybookreport.blueberry.net. That's B L U B R R Y.net. Or by emailing at dogatemybookreport.gmail. At Blueberry doesn't like vowels.
1: But anyway, yeah, we would be super excited to know what books you loved growing up.
0: Thanks for listening.